Hi, and welcome back to the Hopeless Romantic Podcast. I'm Austin Chant. I'm Amanda Jean. And this week's episode is You and Me Could Write a Trans Romance, featuring uh, guest author Sam Schooler. Um, Sam Schooler is a genderqueer journalist and writer, recently featured in HuffPost Gay, um, soon to be featured on BuzzFeed, and has co-authored Dead Ringer, authored Runner in Silver and Gold, which was an anthology I edited number one pimp and the upcoming booth university series with riptide sam welcome to the podcast thanks guys we're really excited to have you here not least because um we were drawing up a list of people we know personally and professionally who would be happy to heap abuse upon because this is our first uh guest episode we had no idea how that was going to go so thank you so much for being patient and awesome real quick before we begin we want to give a uh blanket content warning for this episode it will contain a frank discussion of transphobia so if that is something that is concerning to you uh you may want to set this one out all right so sam we wanted to jump right in um, and ask you a couple questions first uh first of all what is it like being a trans author um and what do you think that brings to your work uh well a lot of my work deals with um identity which i guess comes from my own exploration of, of being trans but like a lot of my stuff always centers on a you know, people, whether it's it's trans characters or not, it always centers on people trying to find the the way that, you know, their place in the world. So I think it's kind of inherently um, like a new adult identity-esque search, um, which is something that I went through. Um, you know, I came out as trans when I was 19. So it was kind of right around that new adults college entrance identity search period. So I feel like that affects me. A lot in what I find interesting in, in main character. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So I think the other avenue to explore here with being um, a trans author in, we all know that the the queer romance world is primarily dominated by cis MM and trying to write uh, stories about trans characters and trans romances can be a little bit of a, a, a difficulty in this genre. So I wanted to talk to you about what do you think people's expectations are or should be for reading trans books? I think one of the problems with, with, um, not necessarily with trans books, but with the, the readership and the marketing for trans books, is that people who come from, like you said, primarily cis MM, is they don't know what to expect. What I'm seeing is that there's a lot of authors who are popular in MM that are crossing over to writing trans books and taking that readership with them, and then this readership hits hits these trans books and, and doesn't quite know what to make of them. And I feel like that's um, one of the issues. Um, so you have that, and then you have the issue of marketing too, which is where do we find, where do we find this readership uh, who really does want, there's a lot of trans readers out there who really, really do want trans books, but either the marketing is reaching solely for this MM audience or it's, it's I, I feel like there's an assumption or an expectation from readers sometimes that um, books about trans characters um are not they're going to be issue books in a way that's going to keep them from being romances in the same way that um books about cis characters get to be romances i don't know do you feel that that's true definitely yeah i i see this this holds true for books about like people of color and people with disabilities and everything like that regardless of the type of you know issue that is in the book everybody I see a lot of reviews from people who are like, well, I didn't understand this book because it wasn't about how this disability challenged and affected their life. It wasn't about them getting surgery as a trans person. 
And it's difficult because sometimes as a trans author or an author who's a person of color, like you just want to write somebody like you who is a spy or a college teacher or whatever. You you want to write someone who has a life that does not revolve around this particular soul aspect of, of them. And so there's a lot of people who come into books thinking that it's going to be about being trans. And like, that's not the way a lot of us would like to write. Yeah. And even, even if it is, um, about being trans or it's about your the experience of being trans it might not be about educating a reader about being trans i see this a lot in reviewers um from cis people reading trans books but also other um people reading about identities that they don't share where they seem to come into it expecting to be educated about the people and so even if the book is about like a, a trans person writing about trans experiences they they might not be writing from it for the from the perspective that they're trying to teach somebody about trans experiences they might just be writing about their experiences and then they get reviews that are like i don't understand why this book didn't educate me and didn't teach me specifically about what trans people are and that's something i find frustrating me too yeah i especially see i see a lot of people who uh, are concerned that the lingo wasn't explained to them like, I don't understand what mm-hmm. T-gel is, or it's something <laughs> like that, and it's like, well, we're not here to... There's no glossary. Yeah, exactly. Like, we shouldn't have to have a glossary in the back of a trans book telling you what genderqueer means, or what T-gel is, or... I also I also worry that people are looking to romance novels to be taught things. Like, I, I agree that um, any sort of literature can be a window into a new experience, but I also don't think that coming into a romance novel looking to be taught something is a mindset anyone should have <laughs> because they're romance novels. <laughs> they're about romance. They're they're just so people can get happy endings. Like, they're not for uh, educational, you know, experiences. I, I feel like that leaves so much less room for... Um, marginalized authors to to tell stories that are, you know, that are about their own experiences. Yeah, it's really frustrating to see somebody get docked, you know, stars or get docked points because, well, they didn't teach me enough. When it's sometimes when people write, I mean, when I write trans books, I am happy if cis, if cis readers want to read them, and that's that's perfectly hap- like that's perfectly fine. But I am writing, I think, to reach out to other trans to other trans people um, when I write a book like that. And so to have a cis reader say, well, this wasn't good enough for me, it's like, well, you're you're not really my audience. Yeah. Also, you didn't buy a textbook. You bought a trans romance novel. Right. I also wonder when people's ability to Google ends because it's such a simple thing. So this is one of the things um, I am a cis person. I am a cis ed- editor who frequently edits trans work um, for both trans and cis authors. And one of the things I've noticed is that there's almost um, a reticence on the part of cis readers, and I would even say cis, uh, cis authors, to do the, um, the the research that they need to do instead of winging it, <laughs> if that makes any sense. When it's when it's stuff like this, like how hard is it really to open Google and type in, you know, I don't even know. Like you you can you can I'm sure there are um directories with information. There's there's personal blogs, there's um trans resource pages, there's it, there's information for people who are beginning to transition, which would be 
useful for a cis author. So I just don't understand where, um, because I, I know a lot of authors who spend a lot of time on research, but there seems to be, um, a wall that goes up when it, when it comes to something outside of their own experience. I think there's a hesitance to talk to people too, because there's a, there's a line, like we're talking about, you know, books, educating people, but there is a line where, you know, you can, put out a call on Tumblr and say, you know, you're looking for trans betas or you're looking for trans people to ask a specific question. And there will be people who will answer. So I do see a, uh, you know, a hesitance in cis authors to reach out to trans people to ask them, you know, sort of the awkward questions about your, about their experiences. So that is something I think that is uh, a bar. And, and I, I don't know. I mean, it's definitely not as difficult to, you know, open Google and figure out what, side effects of testosterone shots are or that kind of thing but I I do think I've seen a lot of people hesitate to talk to actual trans people well I would I would even say that those are two separate issues because I feel like um if you're going to be writing pretty much anything you should probably have a pre-reader or a beta a beta beta fish a beta fish (laughs) okay a minimum of one fish in the tank before you start writing one transgender fish at least while you're writing anything you should probably have a pre-reader or a beta um and especially when you're writing something that is so if you're a cis author so outside of your experience you definitely need a trans beta. However, that doesn't preclude you from having to do the research as well. Like there, I feel like they're two separate issues. Like you should do your research first, do your research during and do your research after. And part of that may be seeking out and actually should be, I feel very strongly about this, should be seeking out a um, trans beta or pre-reader. And also side note, um, you can obviously, there's a diversity cross-check. There are places you can go to find um, diverse uh, people to talk to or beta readers or whatever. But don't expect people to just give you their time. Like, this is a favor that they're doing you. And not everyone will have the spoons to do it. Yeah, I, I feel like um, there's, you know, people should be careful about asking others for to, to share their experiences for the sake of you know, work enriching their work. But on the other hand, if you reach out in appropriate ways, in ways that don't put the pressure on individuals necessarily, but more like put it out there, like I'm looking for trans betas um, or I'm looking for trans pre-readers. I've seen people do stuff like that on um, Twitter, Tumblr, all over the place, just put out a call. And I think that's a totally acceptable way to ask for feedback or for advice on certain things. I am totally comfortable answering questions about myself um, in that context, even though I'm not comfortable asking or answering questions about myself in the context of someone just randomly walking up to me and being like, so about that surgery? (laughs) (laughs) That is, um, that's the thing I really appreciate because I was a a trans beta reader before Heidi Below and I co-wrote, um, I was a trans beta reader for the Burnt Toast B&B, and she, instead of asking me directly um, about experiences with hormones and experiences with sex, she put out a call on Tumblr to ask generally, and specifically mentioned that she didn't want to single out uh, her trans beta readers. So that was really nice, and that's something that I think, uh, like Austin said, I think that's something 
that takes the pressure off a lot of trans people because you you don't want to ask the surgery question or so that kind of personal question there also comes the danger of when you're writing the story you have only spoken to like one trans person and therefore your story is colored only by their experience which is again where research comes in handy because you can read blogs you can read articles you can read all sorts of experiences um because obviously trans people are not a monolith and no one's experience is the same. And I mean, the there will always be um, someone out there, some trans person out there, or some person of color out there who's like, this is not my experience, and therefore I do not like this book. And that will always happen, which is fine. But the goal is not to encapsulate every experience out there. It's to portray a realistic experience based on what people have told you. So going back to reviews, which we've discussed a little bit, I wanted to tie that into the issue of marketing. It is not entirely the fault of um, inexperienced readers or reviewers um, trying to dip their toe into trans romance. If they maybe misgender someone in their review or they shelve something that is definitely um mf with you know a trans character as mm the problem i'm seeing is not so much that readers don't know it's that they're following sort of coded marketing from presses themselves um and i i i I wanted to talk a little bit about how presses can better market their trans books because I recently had an experience with um, Dream Spinner, which is everyone sort of knows Dream Spinner. They're a, they're a big giant in the industry and they publish trans work, They um, which is great. I am all for that. They publish trans work, but um, their guidelines, they're known as an MM only press. And I noticed that they had published a book um, with, uh, it was MF, but it had a, a trans female character in it. And I, I noticed in the reviews, it was shelved as MM almost entirely, like completely, <laughs> pretty much. And I thought, oh, that's 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 weird and a little gross. So I'm going to investigate this. And what I discovered was a strange combination of, you know, just readers not knowing any better. But also um, the website itself had some really bizarre copy um, with some transphobic language in it. And and on top of that, the author had marketed the story as MM with transgender themes, which I don't know what that means. Um, <laughs> I still I'm like, I don't know what that means. So when you get down to it, there is um, occasionally, uh, I think, a culture of being hesitant to market trans work as trans work instead of like, oh, it's just like MM, it's fine. We can't expect readers not to shelve things as MM if the author and the press are marketing the book as MM when it's not. Um, so that's important. I will say as a side note, I reached out to DSP and um, they have they have edited their submission guidelines to make sure that it is only um, trans MM and cis MM, which is good because they've always been an MM press and I'm, I'm happy with that. But I think it's indicative of a larger culture problem than just, oh, well, reviewers are kind of not getting it or presses aren't getting it. Like, I feel like it's indicative of a huge problem in the industry. As a yeah. Whole. And it's also, it's a real shame because um, already stories about trans women I find are a lot rarer um, in the industry. And um and I find that really unfortunate. And then when you do see a story with a trans woman in it and she is misgendered not only by readers, but also by the books, the book written about her and the press. And 
the the only way that a book about a trans woman is is accepted is if it's shelved incorrectly as mm i think that's it's really unfortunate and even though i think yes like if you're going to have an mm only press you should only accept mm and not pretend that a book with a trans woman in it is mm that also means that's you know one less place where you're likely to find a story about a trans woman and i think that's something that the the industry and the genre as a whole needs to reckon with i totally agree there are so few books about trans women. I mean, I honestly cannot think of any books that I would recommend about trans women. Like, it's always trans men. There's a lot of books. There's a rising number of books about, um, you know, non-binary and genderqueer folks, which is also great. But I really feel like, I mean, trans women get so beaten down um, in real life. And it's just, it's it's reflective of the way that trans women are treated. Uh, as a whole. Yeah, it's not just a failure on on the part of the reviewers or the readers and it's it's definitely not just a failure on part of the the press. It's that this is the culture we're living in and it's informing everything that we do and it's meaning that when there are rare books with trans female characters in them that where they have a happy ending and they have their traditional romance structure story, uh we might not have access to them or they're marketed in a really toxic way. There are a lot of presses that publish um and are active seeking trans fiction but it's still i mean when you look at the the majority of books sold they are still cis mm they're still cis white mm and even a lot of the books that i do see with trans characters um come out tend to be very conventionally masculine uh, trans men and with not a lot of room for for folks who exist outside that very binary view of gender i've i've actually seen people say you know, I'm, um, I had to Google to see if this, you know, this character situation had ever happened before. Like, people who read trans books and don't know that trans people are real, which, it, it scares the shit out of me. <laughs> They're not the lucky <laughs> monster. So, like, I'm not creeping in the woods. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm right here. <laughs> so that's kind of, it's... <laughs> that's kind of something that, it's trans that worries. Yeah. <laughs> that worries me. Um. Yeah, this might. This might um, segue neatly into something I really wanted to talk about with you, Sam, um, and that I've complained about before. There was a a character in a game recently. Um, it's a historical game, who's, and the character is trans. And when that announcement was made, the first thing I did was, unfortunately, read the comments. <laughs> never read the comments. <laughs> and never read the comments. <laughs> and the first thing there was like, but this is in the 1800s before a trans person had ever existed. <laughs> was like, I was like, no. Oh, God. Oh. <laughs> so I, I wanted to talk a little bit about writing, the, kind of the experience of writing trans characters and coming up against stuff like that, where it's like, how do you deal with writing characters who are outside of a lot of readers' understanding? Well, we're also talking about what it what it means to write contemporary trans literature versus what it means to write historical trans literature. And um, I think it's important that we make sure there is historical trans literature to better paint the picture for people that trans people have always been around and will always be. And the, um, the language around what it meant to be trans may have been different, but trans people still existed. Yeah, well, I mean, nobody, nobody pretends like straight people didn't exist before the word heterosexual was coined. Like... <laughs> um, I totally agree. And I actually, I am such, I am such shit at historical. <laughs> I am very bad Me at too. writing it and I am very bad at reading it. But when I was a kid, I read a lot of Tamora Pierce. And part of what drew me to Tamora Pierce is 
she has a lot of women who pose as men, um, and a lot of women who take on traditionally masculine, like, traditionally masculine roles, which intrigued me as a kid, and I don't think I quite realized it was because I was interested in the flip of gender roles and interested in how people can fluctuate on a gender spectrum. I think it is really, really, really important to show how people challenge, like, how people have challenged the gender binary throughout history, and I think there's a lack of trans historical fiction, and I think there's also a problem when it comes to trans historical fiction because people do expect, I think people do expect historical fiction to be either historical light, where it is only, like, vaguely relevant to the actual history, or they expect it to be a teaching mechanism. So we cycle back to that teaching thing where it's like, well, you have to teach me what the experience of a trans person would have been in 1637. Yeah, I'm the book I'm working on right now is uh, trans historical, and I had such a hard time trying to figure out um, because I didn't want it to be that teaching moment at any point, really. Um, how I was going to write a character who was obviously trans and where there was no ambiguity, like, no, this is not a character disguised as another gender. Like, that's not what's going on here without having the, like, the expose. Right. I think something I would struggle <laughs> with is, like, the vocabulary, too, because it's, it's, it's everything. I think the way that you would term a lot of people back then is, like, a slur nowadays. Yeah. So it's hard to present it positively. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I honestly, I know I don't have a good general solution for that my my solution was to just kind of avoid period terminology that would be really offensive nowadays to also avoid terminology that is used now and try to get at the the shared experience the kind of the the emotional pieces that i think are recognizable at least i hope to trans readers as the experience of being trans not that that's universal but trying to trying to hit on what would ring true to someone to say, oh, this character is trans as opposed to anything else? Austin, you talked a little bit about um, because of the historical uh, terminology and the lack of being able to access modern terminology, which would probably quickly cue audiences into realizing that this character is trans. You didn't want to have a big expose or exposure scene. And I, I wanted to talk a little bit about why the classic exposure scene is prevalent and problematic. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I'm I try to be very conscious of is that kind of in your in your typical story about a trans character, especially when it's not by a trans person, but even sometimes when it is, generally you find out that a character is trans in one of two ways. When they are about to have sex or having sex or have quote unquote huge quote unquote here tricked someone into having sex with them or when that character is forcibly outed against their will. Like, you very rarely have characters who come out of their own volition. There's also a weird prevalence of, like, um, accidental nakedness scenes. Yeah. Like, oh, my <laughs> towel fell, and you can see that I, you know, have a dick. Like, it's it's really common and yeah. kind of odd like it's is this the only way to let people know yeah. trans people just wander around like half dressed ready to just throw <laughs> their clothes off at any moment but they'll be horrified about it it's this weird like they don't lock doors ever it's it's this very strange like uh thing where you you imagine that that trans folks first of all usually in these stories trans folks are like 
hidden away and ashamed of their bodies, but then they're also running around, like, ready to accidentally expose themselves to any cis person who they need to come out to. It's it's just... I've noticed there's, um, when it's like a, when it's a cis love interest that walks in and, like, their shirt is off or whatever, or they have a towel on, it's always this moment of, like, oh, and then it's like, but I'm still attracted to them. So it's like this contingency where it's like their body is the important part of the attraction. Um, and that's usually a book that's from a cis person's point of view where they're, you know, they have to get used to the fact that their lover is trans and that they have to get get over the fact that their sexuality, well, they have to question their sexuality now. <laughs> and they have to be, there has to be this element of shock. And oftentimes it's meant to shock the reader too. Even, I find this even in um, portrayals of trans folks that are meant to be positive, you're meant to be shocked that they could be trans, like, because you've been going all along on uh, this whole time thinking that they were, again, huge, quote unquote, normal. And now you've just learned that in fact they are trans. I see that even in in moments when I think the author is trying to do something positive. That's a total reflection, too, of how trans people deal with things every day, because you come out to somebody and they're like, oh my god, I never would have realized. Or, oh my god, you look just like a woman. And it's like, that's not what I want you to say. <laughs> that's not That's not a compliment. Stop. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of wacky shit in, um, in trans romance. Not a lot of, I should say. I think it's probably... Um, a minority but there's a lot of strange things going on with love interests in terms of them like grappling with their their partner's transness and i just don't like this idea that um it's set up as like a compromise and the and the love interest is so amazing for you know managing to oh i i understand what this says about me and my sexuality and i have a trans partner that i love despite yeah. their trans God, status yeah. and it's like oh no don't do that I mean, I, I 100% understand that it's it's difficult, I think especially in an established relationship, if, if your partner comes to you and is like, you know, I'm interested, either I'm interested in having gender affirmation surgery or just I'm trans and I'm non-binary and I'm questioning and I'm thinking about this. I do think that's an adjustment for somebody, especially somebody who's never, I mean, I didn't hear the word transgender until I was 18. So I think it's an adjustment for somebody who's never had to deal with, with something directly. But I also think, and I, I think a certain amount of questioning of identity is normal, but I think that should not be, I, I we see that so much and it's, it's so, so common in books that are like with trans love interests where it becomes all about this, this person instead of them supporting their trans partner or you know yeah we don't need stories about how amazing and, and special snowflake cis people are for like loving someone <laughs> i do think there there is obviously rich material to explore about people um coming to terms with their own sexuality or their own opinions of of gender or the gender binary but when it becomes a thing where it's like the love interest uh has to give the trans person their approval and acceptance it's it's weird yeah and i especially think it one of the things that that does is it takes the focus away from how often for trans folks that that moment of like is my partner going to like still accept and love me that moment is very scary or very dangerous. Is, yeah, is my partner going to murder me? Is a legitimate question that a lot of people have to answer as opposed to, oh, if I go out to this holiday dinner party, people are going to think I'm gay because my partner is transitioning. It's a question of like, am I going to get stabbed in the face? 
Yeah, they're on completely different. They're on completely different levels of like anxiety, panic, and actual bodily threat, <laughs> rather than like I have a lot of emotions about this. It parallels <laughs> that whole thing where it's like you know, men fear getting rejected, whereas women fear getting killed. Yeah, absolutely. And I just I would love to see more stories that acknowledge that that acknowledge the the power differential and the the privilege inherent in not having people question you or threaten you based on your gender identity just because i i don't see the acknowledgement of that it's always it it becomes all about sort of the well can we still be in a relationship it completely gets away from the reality of trans lived experiences yeah the first question is you know how does your transness change me and that's not something that i particularly want to hear answered. I really don't. Uh, Austin and Sam, I wanted to talk about, because we touched on writing contemporary transness and writing historical transness, there are um, books that are um, fantasy or sci-fi that also deal with um, transness. And they're sort of non-researchable in terms of like their historical significance. You either have to make it up or, or extrapolate. So can you talk a little bit about writing trans characters in fantasy and sci-fi? This is a hard question for me because I don't write a fantasy because this is yet again something that I'm absolutely terrible at. You write werewolves, I do. Though. That's true. I, I write sci-fi-ish, I guess. But I mean, if, okay, so for Runner, which is the story that you edited, for that story, my young transgender protagonist, his gender ties a lot into his transformation as a wolf. Um, so I think... With shifters, shifters particularly interest me with the gender question um, because I think they're the way that they exist is so fluid, and I think that that is an excellent venue to explore the fluidity of gender as well. So I really, really love uh, exploring gender and shifters, and I have another book in the works that is about gender and shifters. So that will be excellent. But as for sci-fi, um, Kelly Hayworth just came out with Why Negative, which is a dystopian future book about a world where everybody has forgot or um, the concept of like woman has been forgotten. So everyone is considered to be a man, but whether you're, whether or not you're Y negative. So if you're Y negative, you're missing your Y chromosome. So you are female body. So I think the way that she, the way that she wrote that book was very interesting because it was based, since we're talking about history, historical trans representation too, in the book, she has uh, tea shots given intravenously, which I have a uh, a trans dude friend who was immediately like, oh, I don't want to read this book anymore because that is so, like, it's just so outside his experience. And he knew that there could be a lot of gross side effects from intravenous tea shots. Um, but the reason she did it is because tea shots used to be given intravenously. And there was a whole tie-in with the history of, of trans dudes and how... Um, hormones have been looked at over the years. So I find that it's interesting, especially when you have something that is sci-fi or is dystopian or post-apocalyptic and you can explore those archetypal trans tropes or trans things that are common in trans history and you can re-explore them. Yeah, it's really interesting that you should bring it up because it's, um, I don't write a lot of sci-fi because I, I, I'm also bad at that. But one of the things that I find challenging about writing sci-fi is that um, you don't necessarily, assuming you're writing, you know, future sci-fi, um, I often like to write not necessarily utopian sci-fi, but um, if I'm if I'm writing future sci-fi, a lot of times I like to make it a world where transness is 
not the issue that it is now so that he can focus on space pirates <laughs> and that kind the of important thing. things <laughs> but um what i find then is what you can lose to some degree is some of what makes the experience of being trans familiar um because the like i was saying with historical if you can key into some things that are very familiar you can kind of represent that experience and because of the way our society is some of the things you're connecting to the between the, the historical and the current trans experience some of those are kind of innate i think some of those are um not that everybody experiences dysphoria in the same way but some of those are things like gender dysphoria um, and social dysphoria but some of them are um experiences with the way you are treated by people around you and with gender roles and with society and if you then imagine a society where that's not true you kind of lose some of the ability to make a a trans experience that feels relevant now that's something that i struggle with a lot Actually, I have two points to make about this, and I'm probably going to forget one by the time I'm done with this. But everybody who follows me knows that I watch Teen Wolf. Um, so the creator of Teen Wolf, Jeff Davis, uh, said that he postulated a world where, like, there's no homophobia, uh, which is the reason that his, like, sole gay character um, doesn't get treated badly. So I feel, sometimes I feel like that's the world that I want to go for, where it's it's just common and accepted and nobody thinks twice about anything. But at the same time, like like you said, I think we lose a lot of things. And I've also I've noticed this is from way back in like ye old fandom days, but there was a trend, and there still is a trend, I think, on like fanfic.net where like you would have a slash pairing and then like they would be out grocery shopping or like something totally mundane. And then like out of nowhere, like a teenage girl would pop up or a woman, like an elderly woman, and they would be like validating these gay dude's relationship <laughs> like, I, this is something that i think about a lot because it's like they pop up and they're like you're so cute or like it's just it happened a lot like noticeably you're so brave yeah, that i remembered yeah. this and i i sort of don't want that to happen either where it's just like everybody is just okay and everybody is like a up to like a, like validate you i don't eh. there's something kind of invalidating about that because it's so not the world we live in like i always feel that way a little bit if i'm reading a book uh, about a trans character and everybody around them is just like well of course we accept you like duh because it's just like you know no, don't be silly no, duh. Yeah. like that's no. not that's not true unfortunately can you imagine a world in which like perfect strangers walked up to you and like very effusively expressed their i don't know their feelings about how cute and brave you are i would probably punch people but it's so <laughs> uncomfortable i'm just a, i wonder where that came from because it's such an odd uh and and i know exactly what you're talking about i remember it frequently um it's such an odd trope to happen and i've seen it even happen in queer romance yeah. where um i would actually say about 10 years ago it was more prevalent though because we've we've made some strides um but there are people who will come up solely with the um the narrative intent to validate something and to uplift something and it's such an odd thing to come from an external stranger like a, an external force like why wouldn't you have someone in their life validate yeah and it's <laughs> it's almost always women and um i mean i <sighs> It's just so ingrained, and it's something, like I said, like you said, it's something that I see in queer romance, and every time I see it, I it just makes me cringe, and it makes me really think about, because I really enjoy writing lady characters, so it makes me think about the way that I place 
women in MM books because I don't want them to be there as that sort of like cheer yeah, factory. Like yeah. this cheerleader fangirl who's like A plus for like touching dicks. Like I that's not something I want to write. <laughs> I feel like that that kind of I mean maybe it's born out of the fact that um in in slash fandom and even in some MM romance, there's a certain amount of misogyny and i feel like to overcompensate for that they create these like uber um uber kind accepting caricatures of humans who are like oh no no like i think they're kind of like they're kind of mary sues which i think is where they might have come from in like the old like fandom is they are a representation of the author or, or whatever or the reader or something yeah be like my children my beautiful my gaze <laughs> <laughs> to carry that over to a trans book, um, I mean, I, I would it would really bother me to see this kind of character pop up and be like, hey, cis person, you are so brave. Oh, my God. Or, hey, trans person, I'm so glad that you have a loving partner. Like, I don't fucking deserve one. Like, it's the, it's the tone with which it's said. Yeah, it's, it's, it's weird. It's condescending, honestly. It's like, hey... Hey, you're normal. I just want you to know that I think you're normal. <laughs> I'm going to stop you in the literal street to tell you that you are a human being worthy of love. I knew that, but thank you, complete fucking stranger. I wanted to talk a little bit about um, calling out metaphors for trans experience that aren't actually appropriate because we did touch on fantasy and sci-fi and we touched on shifter stuff, which I think is an apt metaphor for trans experience if done well. Um, there are some other ones that aren't quite so apt. Yeah, this is a hot button topic for me because I have a lot of issues with um, the use of, I'm going to again do my invisible finger quotes, gender bending as a metaphor for trans experience really bothers me with the idea that being trans is like having the ability to transform into a human with a different physical makeup. What if you had a dick for a day? Exactly. I, you know, unfortunately, I think I, I've seen... Um, numerous stories like that where that is used as a metaphor for for trans experiences, but it, it's actually very like offensive and invalidating often because it's it kind of perpetuates this this idea that there is an ideal body for a man to have and an ideal body for a woman to have, and it's never a trans body in that situation. It's always like, oh, I've transformed into a woman, which means this and this and this and this. And it's not, I've transformed into a trans woman. It's like, I've become a cis woman and am therefore a real woman. I hate that shit. <laughs> the weirdest thing I would notice as an, uh, as an editor, I have edited uh, stories where similar things happen. And one of the strangest things is where, inst this this happened in um, in fandom too, when there was gender swap, uh, was um, <laughs> people would wake up in a body different from their own and immediately change the way that they thought of themselves and their, their inner pronouns, which is so fucking weird. Like, <laughs> it took me like a year and a half to even consider like going with they, which I still don't. So it's just, ugh, it's like enraging to me. It is hard to change the pronoun you use to refer to yourself. Like people talk a lot about how hard it is to change for other people, but it is so hard to do it for yourself. Like I still, after um, like personal note, I came out as trans about two and some years ago, I still occasionally misgender myself. And it's not because of an inconsistent gender identity on my part. It's just like old habits die really, really hard. I had problems for probably the first six months. And then to wake up and be like, oh, hey, guess what? 
I'm Shino. It's so cavalier, I think is the word. And it, it's also, it, you know, you could be portraying a gender fluid character, but instead you're portraying somebody who has literally changed bodies. Well, it's just one of those things where I think the, the fundamental uh, thing here for um, cis writers and readers is that when you change bodies, uh, whether through like a spell or a funny, you know, a funny confluence of fate, it doesn't mean that your gender is going to change. It means that your physical body has changed. And that's such a it's such a simple concept, but I feel like it's one that isn't internalized very well because of society's sort of uh, really shaky understanding of what being trans is. Um, and I, I think that that's something that where you see a lot of like, I woke up in a quote unquote female body. So I am now female. And, I, and you know, I was, I don't know, fucking Dean Winchester. And now I'm Dina Winchester forever. Like. <laughs> I, I think it totally comes back to the the idea that your your gender is your body and that transness means you want a different body, which is not true for many trans folks. I mean, it is true for some trans folks, but it is not a universal constant to the trans experience. And I see people per perpetuate that even in well-meaning ways. I wanted to talk uh, briefly uh, from my perspective as um, an editor, editing for cis people in particular. Um, I don't think necessarily that uh, we need to belabor dysphoria. Partially because there is there is no one type of dysphoria, and um, I do not think that a trans person is picking up a trans romance novel written by a cis author to see our interpretation of dysphoria. So it, it may be something that we should not necessarily never write because it's uh, it depends on the story and the characters. When when you're writing a book, it is a it is a romance book. It is supposed to be about a trans character's happily ever after it does not need to be an issues book about their painful experiences well i i have i have read a distinction a, a while back it was really eloquently stated and i am not going to state it eloquently but it was like it's fine for you to write about people that are different from you so it's fine for a white author to write poc it's fine for somebody who's cis to write trans people but it's not okay for you to write as if you are defining that experience write people different from you but don't write about what it's like to be people other than you which i think is a very blurry line it's something that i've thought about a lot since i read that so i don't necessarily know that it's it's that cut and dry and that you can just say that and be like oh yeah that's definitely the line but i do think it's something to, it's something to not meditate about something to consider talking about dysphoria in particular this is something i have been thinking about lately that's an experience that um when i see that written by a cis author and by a trans author it's completely different generally speaking cis authors interpret gender dysphoria is absolutely nothing like the lived experiences of trans people i know and it's just something that i think is it's a really hard experience to wrap your mind around if you haven't gone through it. Um, it can be a really important representation issue because growing up as a trans person, the only books I saw were by cis people. And the only movies and TV shows I saw were representations of trans people by cis people. And they didn't necessarily equate to my experiences at all. Um, and they didn't represent me and when I have then read books about trans experiences and about gender dysphoria specifically by trans authors, it's been it's been very revelatory to be like, oh, this is what it is like. I mean, and it's not universally and I don't relate to everything because, again, not a monolith. 
But, um, for example, when uh, A Boy Called Sin by Cecil Wilde came out um, this year, one of the things I really liked about it is that it examines different kinds of dysphoria for, for two different characters who are experiencing gender dysphoria. Um, and it, it, it's fairly in-depth. And uh, it was, I think, the first time that I read something like that and was like, this is, this is a true representation of gender dysphoria and it was very powerful to read that i feel like a lot of uh cis representations of dysphoria sort of equate to that childhood i just knew kind of idea whereas like i just knew that i was a girl in a boy's body or i felt like i was a boy in a dress and dysphoria manifests itself so strangely and so violently sometimes that it's, it's hard to nail that really core emotional strangeness yeah well and it's it's interesting because it's something i actually i tend to avoid it in my own work i i avoid writing about it because it is something that i don't like to indulge i think because for me with when i experience dysphoria it's it is again it's violent it's very upsetting and it's something that i don't tend to like to put into words or put out there and it's also something i don't want to kind of I don't want to kind of hammer it in as like this is the trans experience dysphoria and pain well that um i'm i'm really sorry to interrupt but i was going to say that is part of the problem of the the culture and the media surrounding most transness not created by trans people is like pretty much every um common depiction of trans people by cis people includes dysphoria as if you cannot be trans without the specific type of black and white dysphoria and that's why i was trying to say like hey, uh, th- there's enough of that. We don't need more of it. That goes along with the idea that the, the only trans experience is is medical transition or is one or the other. Yeah, and I feel like um, social dysphoria very rarely gets talked about. Um, in depictions of trans people that are not by trans people, it's it tends to heavily revolve around physical dysphoria and um, desire for medical transition. Whereas I think... It's kind of weird that people jump to that, which is so much more individual and private, as opposed to social dysphoria, which is like, that is a lot of times for, I think, a lot of people, a much more pressing day-to-day current, like, I just got misgendered three times on the way to the grocery store. That actually affects me way, way more, because I, I usually when I write about, um, people ask me about my own trans transformation, and it was mostly, like, I cut my hair off, and most of my dysphoria went away. But I got an email a few weeks ago um, that was to both Heidi and myself, and they addressed us as ladies together. And I had a dysphoria spiral for about a week, which has never happened to me before um, that violently. So I do think that's the social aspect, you know, where it's like there's this cutesy kind of angry reaction where if you're if you're reading a book and somebody's like oh well she and somebody like whips around and is like no it's he and then that's the end of the problem and it's really not it's really not the end of the problem for like most people yeah my my friends and i when we go out together i i have mostly female friends um and if we are in a group we are very likely to be addressed as ladies everywhere we go and like my friends and i have like plans in place for every time we go out like I just, with one of my best friends, developed a plan where she is totally allowed to refer to me as her brother, boyfriend, whatever, <laughs> when we go out, just so that 
if I'm misgendered, she has a quick and easy way to be like, no, because, because you know, it's something that happens constantly. I do find it interesting I, and on my like particular level that I'm comfortable being referred to as she, but I'm really uncomfortable being referred to as like miss or lady. And I, and I feel like this, this hits at part of what we've been talking about all along, which is that like these experiences are not a monolith, like, and there is no you know, trans experience, broad trans experience that you can key into and suddenly be accurately writing trans folks because for everyone, their lines are going to be different and um, what makes them feel comfortable and okay and what makes them feel uncomfortable and not okay is going to be different. We've spent a lot of time talking about what people do wrong. I wanted to celebrate uh, what there exists in the genre that is done right a little bit. Um because there has been a, more of a push for trans fiction uh, by trans authors and cis authors from a lot of presses. Um, and by the way, I will have a link, uh, a list of um, presses that um, accept and court trans fiction at the in the episode description. So go ahead and check that out at the end, um, because there is so much more of it now in the queer romance community than I think there was. Uh, five years ago, eight years ago, there certainly was very little when I first started reading um, ebooks. There was very little, and I also feel like there's this expectation that, like, well, we, you know, the the most bank that we do is with MM, with cis MM. Why should we, um, you know, someone else can handle that? Like, someone else handles lesbian fiction. Someone else handles bisexual fiction. I guess someone else handles trans fiction. It's like, well, no, there's not very many presses dedicated to trans fiction, let alone trans romance. And so there's luckily been a shift in perspective, I think, a, par a paradigm shift, where um, a bunch of presses now actively court, either with, like, anthology calls or general open submissions, they actively court it. And there are a lot of trans authors out there writing, and a lot of cis authors are starting to write... Um, trans romance. So um, Austin, I know you mentioned um, A Boy Called Sin by Cecil Wilde, and Cecil's written some other trans stuff. Sam, you did mention the, um, the what was it? Why? Why, why negative. Cool. Um, I wanted to see what your other favorites in the um, genre are. Yeah, Why Negative by Kelly, uh, Kelly Hayworth and Kelly Goes Trans. This is a recent uh, release. It's called Cam Girl. Uh, it's by Leah Rader. And this is actually a big five book. It's from Atria Indie. Um, so it's about a couple transgender characters. Uh, it's it's super good. I and Leah is a non-binary, so it's really really excellent. And then I do recommend uh, Heidi Below again, uh, Burnt Toast B&B, and Wallflower, both of which are trans books. She is a cis, cis author, but I um, was her trans beta for both of those books. Yeah, I second. Um, I just started reading Cam Girl, and I really like it. I haven't finished it yet, but it's really good. Um, and I also second Heidi Below. Um, Burnt Toast B&B is one of my favorite books. Um, and then I really, really like, um, it's a, it's a shorter, uh, piece. Um, I don't remember exactly how long it is, but it's, it's shorter. Uh, Long Macchiatos and Monsters by Allison Evans is one of my favorite. Um, I love the characters in that and they rang really, really true to me. Uh, and then I'm also, uh, really fond of E. Ottoman, um, and uh, J.K. Pendragon, both of whom are trans authors. And I happen to know that Brain Mill Press is uh, is calling for uh, LGBT fiction right now, and Alexis Hall is going to be editing the is editing the collection. And E.E. E. Ottoman just signed a book with them uh, that I believe is is trans, so it is going to be part of that 
collection from Brain Mill Press. Oh, I, I did want to say um, as a as a note, there is really not a trans um, romance press, a, a press dedicated to trans romance only, and I think that is sad. And someone should start one, or at least an imprint. Um, I was I would also say that when I was searching for trans romance, just the phrase trans romance on Google to try and find submission calls for our, our call thing, the, the tenth result was Pornhub. So. We need to fucking fix this and um, we need to market better. And the um, point I'm trying to make to my fellow cis uh, authors, readers, reviewers is that we, we know that living in a transphobic and really binary world is hard enough. And our job is as readers and allies and writers to make it easier and to f- sort of flood the market with uh, as many, you know, happy stories as we can so that trans people get to see themselves in happy endings and they don't have to do all the work themselves because that's kind of the point of being an ally is you help share the burden when you can. I've noticed this trend too, as if like for an, uh, as if in an attempt to be inclusive, there are like side characters or token characters who do not have their own storylines or are just there as scaffolding for the the traditional like mm cis romance that are trans please don't put side characters in your story just because you're like there's a trans person in this and it will i don't know sell better no just write a trans romance feel feel free to write trans side characters i'm all about it but- i mean when somebody when somebody tweets asking for like I'm looking for books with trans side with trans characters don't be like my book has a trans character when your trans characters on the page for like three seconds your, your trans character on page 145 in paragraph two it's like I, i'm glad that people are I'm, I'm glad that it's it's reached a point where people as if as if like as a marketing tactic they're putting trans people in their books which i kind of think is highly ironic but um they're they're putting trans people in their books but just because they're like oh, i need to check i need to tick this check checkbox so no one can say that i'm transphobic or that people can can list my book as as diverse like eh. like there's a different like i'm perfectly fine with like say you're reading a book about like an lgbtq center on a on a campus which i am not at all doing right now it's fine if you're gonna populate it with with lgbtq characters and it's fine i don't think everybody has to have a specific like individual arc that's fine but also you shouldn't be harping on the fact that like you've got these characters like, include as many side characters as you want that are diverse, but don't be like, hey, I'm, like, so great because my main two characters are cis and white, and then I have, like, all these side people that do nothing. Like, that is the difference. Exactly. That was... I also, I feel like that is the, it's, I feel like this is the newest equivalent of like the gay best friend in straight literature or the, um, the black best friend. <laughs> like, here's your supportive trans character. Yeah. Here's your trans character, I guess, to dispense wisdom. I, I have no idea. I try not to read books like that, but I do see it occasionally. Not to like, um, bring this back to like all about me, but, uh, we have a, a trans woman in Deadringer, um, who is our main character's boss at his escort agency. That was something that Heidi and I talked about extensively was having her have her own direction because she does in a, she's in a position as his boss to give him a lot of advice. And she does um, help guide his life kind of and help guide his career. But we wanted her 
we were very, very careful to, like, avoid this particular trope. We didn't want to fall into that, like, othering position. So she has her own arc, and that was something that was, I think, very, very important. I feel like that's an extension of using trans stories as teaching tools. Like, you are you have this character who's in there basically to affirm the other characters or to teach them something and go on their merry way. Or, uh, even more depressingly, again, just to tick a box. Like, there's a trans character in this. The end, I'm done. Like, the war was won. We can go home now. No. <laughs> With that said, I think um, I do really like the the portrayal in, in Dead Ringer. And um, when I was first coming out, some characters that were really important to me were not major characters, but they were characters who kind of were trans and had their shit together to the point where, you know, they the story wasn't about like the perils of their transition. It was about like them as competent, maybe slightly older more put together people like helping the protagonist with something which is i think the the note that you hit really well with dead ringer whereas it it read less like here is a wise transgender person through who their struggles and pain has gained wisdom and insights into human nature it's more like it's like no she's trans and she's awesome and she has her life together and so she is in a position to help somebody else your sad train wreck of a main character <laughs> It's going to be all the better for knowing her. I say that with love, God, by the way. No, he's such a mess. It's okay. I had a lot of cis friends recommend a book called None of the Above to me. Uh, and it's a traditionally published it's a traditionally published YA book by uh, I.W. Gregorio. And it's about a teenage girl who finds out that she is intersex. So this was recommended to me by a lot of cis friends. And I struggled with it because it was pretty much solely about medical transition. And the author is a surgeon who based the main character off a patient that she had. I struggled with it because there was not a lot of emotion or the emotion that was in it was very like overblown and dramatic. And it focused a lot on, on surgery and on medical transition, um, which I struggled to connect with. And I, I, I do think that it's not necessarily just cis authors, but I find that a lot of people tend to focus on the medical and sort of use that as a tool to then not explore the emotional side. Yeah, and I, I, I also, yeah, that makes total sense. And I also, I also read that book, and I had a, a really hard time with it. Um, I think it, it becomes a way to not acknowledge a lot of times being trans or being intersex is hard, not just because of you, but because of the world around you. And one of the things I really had a hard time with what with in that book was that there was tons of like um, internalized um, transphobia and really, really nasty gender binary stuff on the part of the protagonist that was internalized um, that wasn't called into question um, because the focus was on that medical transition. Yeah, I think I actually said that in my review that I was disappointed that it was so binary because the whole point of the book was that it wasn't supposed to be binary. Like, it was marketed as male, female. Like, I think the tagline was male, female, none of the above. And I was so interested because I, I wanted to see, even if the person, even if the main character isn't trans, I wanted to see somebody who was intersex explore the gender binary, and it really just, just missed the mark for that. Yeah, and I and it also included, you know, some, some very transphobic portrayals of other intersex people who were not as gender conforming, which I found to be really upsetting <laughs> for a variety and, and none of it was challenged i would have been fine with all of that being included had it been part of the narrative transformative arc 
but it, it was never questioned. Like, I, I normally avoid medical transition books, um, and then I decided to give that one a go because it was it was recommended to me by probably 10 people. Well, it's just, a, it's, it's indicative of, again, I feel like cis people's first exposure or primary exposure to trans people is like the discussion of and the 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 sort of understanding that oh yes trans people seek medical transitioning and we are fascinated by that and we will ask you intrusive questions about it and um you know the it's carried over into literature and that it's almost like um when you especially uh, austin was saying you have these um like trans men who are super masculine coded and there's not a lot of fluidity there um a lot of them um have been through medical transitioning, which is not the case for a lot of trans people because, again, not a monolith experience. So I don't know. It's just I feel like it is really indicative of the fact that like a lot of of the media about trans people is also about transitioning and medical transitioning. And um, a lot of the the focus from cis uh, authors is inherently going to be that too so that's going to wrap up our discussion for today thank you so much for joining us sam it was awesome to have you on the podcast awesome to be here thanks guys um and then as usual i will end our episode by talking about two calls i chose these specifically because i wanted to um aim it at trans writers and um and so these these two submission calls are not necessarily just for pure romance they are for trans fiction in general please keep that in mind the first one is transgenre.net um, they it's transgenre press they are looking for stories that are 50k and up from trans writers um again not necessarily romance focused but you can definitely have romance in your stories please review their um submission guidelines thoroughly the second one is for topside press uh their website's a little bit wonky right now i did email them about it and the the call that they have up now is actually closed for short fiction short speculative fiction but it looks like they are accepting um novel length submissions uh fiction by trans writers so those are two submission calls for trans stories by trans writers and then of course at the um like I said in the episode description, I will link to individual queer presses that are actively seeking trans fiction. There's a bunch of them, which is super great. And I think that's everything. So next episode, we're going to have our our bi fiction episode, which is entitled Bye Bye. Oh God, bye. <laughs> um, you can find me on Twitter at Austin Chanted. You can find me on Twitter at, at Amanda H. Jean. And you can find me on Twitter as at Sam Schoolering. Which is Sam Schooler and then ING. Thanks so much for listening, everybody, and see you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Hopeless Romantic. If you enjoyed the podcast, please rate and review on iTunes and share on social media. THR is produced by Daria DeFore, with graphics by Keezy Young and music composed by Carly Ann Warden. Follow us on Twitter at VHR Podcast and find us on Facebook as The Hopeless Romantic Podcast. If you'd like to send us any feedback, have questions, or are interested in guesting, please email us at thehopelessromanticpodcast at gmail.com.